I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. I would like to welcome each and every one of you to our church this morning. Glad you chose to be with us today. We um, Actually, I wanted to show you guys a picture that someone sent me this morning on my phone that showed up on their phone or Facebook or something. I don't know. But this is one year ago today. This is what this building looked like. Isn't that something? I just want to praise God for that. I mean, it's just amazing that God has provided... That God has provided a, a permanent location for us to be, uh, to be a blessing to our community, to love our neighbors, to grow in our faith, and it's just a blessing to be here. This is, I think this is our fourth or fifth week in the building here. Before that, we were at West Dallas Central for about three years, and um, so just, it's just, you know, gives you some perspective. So last week, we started a series called Risk. And we're so in the next couple of weeks we'll be talking about risk and how important risk is to following God and experiencing God in your life. That's what we're talking about. Uh, today we're going to talk about risk versus anxiety. And the reason I think that most people choose to take great risks in their life is because of joy. Because they see on the other side of that risk, there's joy. There's something better than what they have. And so they're willing to take a risk and make themselves vulnerable to loss or injury in order to get something they don't already have, in order to get something better than what they have, which in most cases is joy. Think about a couple who cannot conceive. They can't have children. And... They're not willing to just accept the pain of infertility, and so they choose to start the long, hard journey of risk, and they know it's going to cost them thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. They're going to lose sleep. It's going to be difficult. They know that if it doesn't work out, if the treatments don't work, and if the plan doesn't work, there's going to be more disappointment. But for them, the hope for joy is better is greater than the fear of disappointment or loss. And so they take the risk because of that hope for joy. That's why they do it. Think about a young man, a young man who has sinned in his life. He sinned against his wife. Maybe he's got some secret sin that he's keeping from his wife. And he starts carrying guilt around because he doesn't know how else to deal with it. And... He wants to tell her the truth and ask for forgiveness, but he doesn't want to go through the pain of telling her the truth. Because he he knows when he tells her the truth, it's going to hurt her. And it could change their relationship forever. There's just a lot of uncertainty there. There's a lot to lose. But he knows there will never be real joy in their relationship or in their marriage as long as he holds on to this secret. So he has a choice. He can stay safe and keep it hidden, or he can... Take a risk and trust God with the outcome. Which is better? A middle-aged woman decides after maybe 20 years that she no longer wants to stay in her career. And so she decides that she's going to quit her job and go back to school to start a new career, one she's actually passionate about. There's, she's been hanging on to this dream and she, she's been... She's been careful and safe and she hasn't wanted to pursue it because there's a lot to lose. It might not work out. She might lose the security of of her successful career and all the things she's accomplished, but she's willing to do it to find joy in starting something new because she, she wants to do something she loves and so she takes the risk. 
Now, last week we said that risk is better than waste. That's really the, the big idea of this whole series. Risk is always better than waste. And if you're not taking risks in your life and trusting God with the outcome, you are wasting your life. And I left you with this definition of risk last week. Risk is going without knowing. That's what risk is. It's going without knowing. That's what it means. But there are things inside of us that keep us from going. Things that keep us from doing something great. That cause us to stand still and do nothing and pass up opportunities to attempt great things for God. And one of those things, last week we talked about our desire for control. A desire for control keeps us from taking risks because we want to control the outcome. We want to control our relationships. We want to make a decision and know that it's going to work out. And so we sometimes wait for the perfect timing, which, by the way, doesn't exist. And we we sometimes decide that if we can't know for sure how this is going to turn out, we're just not going to do anything. Because at least if we do nothing, we know what the outcome will be. It'll just be more of the same. It's less risky. And so control keeps us from taking risks, and it actually keeps us from experiencing God, and it robs us of ambition. The desire to control your life and the desire to control what happens to you keeps you from doing things that are ambitious. Today, though, we're going to talk about a different obstacle to risk, and that can be found in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, which we started looking at last week. Ecclesiastes is right around the middle of your Bible. It goes uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, somewhere in the middle of your Bible. It was written by... Solomon, who was a wise old king, and he gives us a lot of practical advice in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I just wanted to point out before we we start reading this passage that Solomon, as he's writing, this is an ancient text written thousands of years ago, but here's what we know. Solomon has more perspective than we do. He's writing this book. He is endowed by the Spirit of God to write these things. The Spirit of God is, is guiding him in this process, and he is empowered and and enlightened to write about life from God's perspective. And not to mention the fact that he's writing towards the end of a very full life. He's at the end of his life. He's lived a fuller life than any of us have. And he's been gifted by God with more wisdom than any man who's ever gone before him. And so I just wanted to remind you what we're reading today. This is a sacred ancient text. And just think about if you could have 30 minutes with the wisest man who ever lived. That's what we're doing here. You know, we're just, we want to hear from God and how God used his experiences to teach us how to live, how to live a fuller life. That's what we're doing here this morning. So Ecclesiastes verse 11, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the whole chapter is about living a life of what it means to be a risk taker in life. It's, it's dangerous, it's scary, but it's totally worth it. And we're going to pick up in verse 7. Where we left off last week in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This is what Solomon wrote. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. In other words, life is good. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity or meaningless. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life 
our vanity. So this is the word of God. Now, just like control keeps us from attempting great things for God, anxiety creates an aversion to risk and robs us of joy. That's what he's saying. He's saying that joy is what you miss when you stay safe. Joy is the thing that you miss when you choose not to take any risks in life. And the first thing he says is to rejoice while you're young. He doesn't say, by the way, rejoice because you're young. That's different. Okay, he doesn't say rejoice because you're young. He says rejoice while you're young. And I think one of the reasons he says that is because joy takes practice. We have to learn how to choose joy in the midst of the struggle of life. And it's best to start when you're young. See, we sometimes think that we have to wait to enjoy life. We think we have to wait until our circumstances change or until we have more money or until we get a better job or until the right person comes along. But that is not, God is giving us permission to enjoy life right now. No matter what's going on in your life, God is commanding us to choose joy, to rejoice in our life because we don't know what's going to come next. We can't control it. We aren't promised a long life. We aren't even promised tomorrow. And that's why he says, Everything to come is vanity. In other words, your life is like a vapor. Your life is like a mist. That's why I brought this water bottle up here. Here's, your, here's what your life is in the, in the scope of history. That's it. It's there one moment, gone the next. That, that is your life. It is fleeting. It's a mist. It's, it's, it's meaningless. In the, in the scope of things, under, it's meaningless under the sun. If all we know is this life... It's pointless. You're here today, gone tomorrow. But again, we got to ask the question, what if there's more to life? What if, what if there's more to life than what we see? Isn't that the big question? What if there's more to life than what we see? Wow, if there's more to life than what we see, we'll be able to do things we never thought were possible. We'll be able to trust God and take risks and just trust God with the outcome and not worry about it. So the question is, how do you rejoice in all your days? How is it possible to rejoice in all your days? Well, he tells us, what he says is, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. In other words, do whatever is in your heart. Do whatever you want to. Just remember, God is going to judge you in the end. Some, to some of you, that sounds like a sick joke, doesn't it? <laughs> like... Okay, God, I can do whatever I want. What if what I want to do is bad? You know what I mean? I mean, because a lot of the things I want to do, I don't think are very good. I think you might judge me for those things. So can I do what I want or not? And we sometimes go back and forth. Like, is that what he really means? Does, is Solomon saying, go ahead, do whatever you want. Just remember, God's looking over your shoulder, and he's going to get you back one day. No, that is not the point. That is not what he's saying. Here's what I think he's saying, and this is very important for us to understand. Your desires and your passions and your skills and your unique gifts and abilities all come from God and they're all for God, right? So use those to promote God. Live your life for God. Find your joy in God. Find your purpose in God. Find your meaning in life and your relationship with God. And if you can do that, then you can do whatever else you want to. And let God worry about the outcome. 
Follow your dreams. Use your gifts, your unique passions. Pursue those things. As long as you're doing it, not to make your name great, but to make God's name great. That's where joy comes from. Joy comes from living your life to make God famous, not yourself. It's about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. And if we can realize that and find our joy and satisfaction in just knowing God and enjoying God, it changes everything. We'll be able to live a free, passionate life, to do whatever we want. Can you imagine a life like that? Maybe some of you are living that. If there's nothing like it. There's this quote that I had written down in my notes from years ago when I studied this text. I don't know who said this, but I love this quote. It says, they said, enjoy the Lord, and as you do, you will find that what comes alive in you is passion, creativity, vision, joy and excitement, and a fear of God that keeps you from being an idiot. (laughs) Isn't that a great quote? (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. When you find, when you discover how to enjoy God and just rest in your relationship with God and enjoy Him for who He really is, it just liberates you. It, it just fills you with this passion and excitement, and it fills you with life. And knowing that God is the goal of life, that in the end we will stand before God, does keep you from making really stupid decisions. It does. God created us to be ambitious, free, passionate people who live by faith, not by sight. We are called to live for today. We're to live for what we don't see. And that's what allows us to be risk takers. It makes us the kind of people who can just throw ourselves into life and throw ourselves into our relationships, throw ourselves into our jobs, throw ourselves into uncertainty, and let God worry about the outcome. There's no, I mean, it's the best life that there is. And this wise old king is saying, trust me, I've seen it all. I've seen everything under the sun. I've done it all. And I'm telling you, this is the way to live. (laughs) Rejoice while you're young. Follow your heart. Do whatever you set your eyes to. Just remember, it's all for God. It's all for God. So, He says, love God, do what you want, enjoy all your days. Just remember, they won't all be good days. (laughs) That's kind of what he said. They won't all be good days. Remember, the days of darkness will be many. There's going to be some hard times, right? The Bible is very realistic about life, isn't it? You're going to have some good days. You're going to have some bad days. There's going to be some horrible seasons you're going to go through in life. Things you never expected. Things outside of your control. Crushing things. But you have the power to choose a life that's defined by joy, even in the midst of that. It doesn't mean you won't have bad days. It doesn't mean you won't lose things. But you'll never lose God. You will never, God will never leave your side. He will be with you in that dark time. He will be. So, there will be obstacles to you rejoicing in life. There will be obstacles to you taking risks in pursuing what's in your heart. And those obstacles are inside of you. They're mostly inside of you. Your desire for control is inside of you. Anxiety is inside of you. So he says, remove anxiety from your heart. In verse 10, he says, remove vexation. That's what that means. 
from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. It's all, you know, it's all coming to an end someday. So remove anxiety from your heart. Now I've observed over the course of my life that the more joy you have in your heart, the more willing you will be to take risks. Every joyful person I've ever known like truly joyful person, someone who's fueled by joy, every one of them is a risk taker. They're always willing to do things, ambitious things, without knowing the outcome. And a joyful heart, and this is what I think the text is saying, a joyful heart moves ordinary people to attempt great things for God. A joyful heart moves ordinary people to do very ambitious things. And if joy leads to risk, then anxiety kills risk. It just does. What he's talking about is emotional stress. I'm sure everybody in here has experienced that to some degree. Emotional stress. You know what I'm talking about? Anxiety, worry, fear, distress. And here's what I know. If you're angry or frustrated or exhausted or irritable or bitter or anxious, you cannot embrace joy and you will not take risks. Because when you have anxiety in your heart, you will be less likely to try new things. You'll be less likely to make new friends. You'll be less likely to give yourself away or to attempt great things for God. You just won't be able to do it. You'll be less likely to do something ambitious and trust God with the outcome. When there's anxiety in your heart. Listen to some of what God says about anxiety and emotional stress. In Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, God said, Blessed, or happy, that means happy. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. In other words, the person who finds their joy in God by just trusting in God, they're not anxious when they go through a hard time. They're not anxious when they go through a season of financial struggle. The year, that's what the year of drought means. They're not anxious because they know God's bigger than that. They know God can provide and will provide if they trust him and obey him. God will provide for our needs. He will do that. It may not, I mean, it doesn't mean, our, it doesn't mean we're going to be wealthy. It definitely doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we're going to have an easy life. It just means that this person is trusting God and they can actually be happy because they're trusting God even in a season of drought. So joy and anxiety are incompatible. That's what he's saying. You can't be anxious and happy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your clothing, your, what you're going to eat and drink and all those things. Which of you by, be, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Therefore do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Anxiety causes you to waste your life. You end up wasting your life. Right? Philippians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, in Proverbs 12, 25, Solomon wrote, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Can we put the next slide up real quick? This is the image that, this is what I picture when I think about taking a risk. I picture about jumping from one cliff to another with a big gap in the middle and not totally sure if I'm going to make it. That's how I picture risk. Now imagine making that jump with a 50-pound backpack on. That's anxiety. That's what it is. It keeps us from making the jump or it causes us to fall short. It causes us to fall short. So, when, when it comes down to it, there are really two different approaches to risk that we can take or, or to making a decision that's hard. One of them is we can ask what-if questions. What-if questions. Or we can say even if. And we've talked about this before. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, a guy I've known most of my life, is named John Sertalic. He wrote a book called Them. It's called The Richer Life Found in Caring for Others. It's a great book. And he has a chapter in here called What If Versus Even If. And the chapter, the, that one chapter is worth the price of this book. It's a phenomenal book. And what he's talking about, in fact, he counseled my wife through a difficult decision we had to make a number of years ago. And we were asking a bunch of what if questions. What if this goes wrong? What if we get, you know, what if this happens? What about that? And it caused us to not do anything. We were paralyzed. We couldn't make a decision. And he finally said, how about you guys stop asking what if questions and just make the decision and say even if. Even if all of that stuff happens, God is God. God is good. God is faithful. God is with us. And that allowed us, just that little change in perspective allowed us to move forward in our life and take a really big risk that, was, that would change our lives. Just changing the question. There's people in the Bible, by the way, who've done this. Are you familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? From the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Three of Daniel's friends, and there was King Nebuchadnezzar had, had this huge 90-foot gold statue of himself um, built and he commanded everyone in the country to bow down and worship this statue and give their allegiance to his rule. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, worshipped the living God. And so they, re they, were, they had a problem, right? And, he, and of course, Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't bow down and worship this, God, this statue, I will have you thrown into a fiery furnace where you will burn to death. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up while everyone else kneeled and bowed down. And some ruling authorities went and told Nebuchadnezzar about it. And he brought them in and he said, what is wrong with you guys? Don't you know that if you don't bow down to the statue, I'm going to have you thrown into this fiery furnace. And do you know what they said? <laughs> they said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we can't help it. We know that our God is able to deliver us. Even if you throw us in that fiery furnace, our God is able to deliver us and he will do it. But if not, we still won't bow down to your idol because we believe in the living God. Did you catch that? They said, but if not, even if God 
chooses not to save us, even if he chooses not to come through, even if he chooses not to rescue us out of this situation, we're still going to trust him. So what they did was they, they, they didn't say, what if, what if God doesn't come through? What if we get thrown into the fiery furnace and we get burned alive? What if I die today? They didn't get, they didn't get paralyzed with those kinds of questions. They said, you know what? We don't know what God's going to do. We know he can deliver us. But even if he does not, we're going to trust him. And you know what happened, right? King Nebuchadnezzar threw him in the fiery furnace. He had it heated seven times hotter. The men who, so hot that the men who threw them in the furnace died. And they shut the door. And after a few minutes, Nebuchadnezzar looked in and he saw the three men walking around with a fourth man. Walking around, unharmed. Totally unharmed. Not burned at all. And Nebuchadnezzar started worshiping God that day. Right? I mean, that's just amazing to me. My, my third, I have a 13-year-old daughter. I have five kids. And by the way, some of you, you, you think I stole this shirt from you. But my, kids, my, my wife made this for me. I'm assuming my kids asked her to. Maybe not. But I, they brought it this morning and asked me to wear it, so I'm wearing it. My oldest daughter is 13, and she recently took a big risk in her life. And this might not sound like a big deal to you guys, but it was a big deal to her. She's been playing soccer her whole life. I've been her soccer coach most of her life. I played soccer most of my life until I started having kids. And then I started coaching soccer. Well, she recently was recruited by a coach to play at another level, a higher level of soccer. And she wasn't really excited about that. You know, she's been playing for me for six years. She's been playing with these friends she has for all these years. She loves her team. And at first, I asked her about it. She's like, no way. I'm not changing teams. No way. Like, no. No chance. I was like, okay. So he invited us to a practice. She's like, I I somehow convinced her to go to this practice with this team. And she's like, okay, I'll go to the practice, but I am not changing teams. There's no way I'm changing teams. She went to the practice, got to know these girls a little bit, had fun. We went home. She's like, okay, I had fun, but I'm still not changing teams. I'm not doing it. You know, she's... She just had anxiety. She, you know, what if I go to this team and I don't play my, they don't let me play my position? What if I don't get the number I want? What if these girls aren't nice to me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I mean, she can figure out a lot of what if questions, okay? We get them every day. What if this, what if that? Then they invited her to play in a game with them. And she played in a game with them. It was amazing. She had a great game, had a great time. After the game... I was shocked. After the game, she's like, okay, Dad, I'm open to it. (laughs) And now she's going to be, she's leaving my team, which I'm happy about. It's going to be good for her. And she's going to play with it. She's changing teams. She's taking a risk. She's okay. She's saying, even if, even if I don't get my number I want and play the position I want, even if, you know, I don't get to score as many goals or all this stuff, I'm going to trust God that this is, I'm going to trust my dad. This is good for me, right? It's a big risk for her. That's, that, that's, a, you know, that's a risk for her. Other people have way bigger risks they're, they're going to take. Think about a 13-year-old girl whose dad is in prison and her mom's an addict and she's in foster care. Think about that girl. 
There's a lot of them in Milwaukee, a lot. She's going to be asked to change families. Not soccer teams, families. The day's going to come, and she doesn't know when it's going to come. And she's not going to be ready for it, no matter what. When she's going to be asked to choose to go with a different family. Imagine her questions. What if they don't love me? What if they don't accept me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they try to make me do something I don't want to do? What if they abuse me? What if my mom gets hurt? What if, I mean, you could go on and on and on. And yet, there's some 13-year-old girls in our city who are confronted with that risk. And now I'm going to turn it on to you. Okay? Is there someone in here who has had it on your heart? Maybe, maybe there's a family in here, a couple in here, who God has put it in your heart to foster a child without a family. Talk about risk. I mean, we can easily get paralyzed by the what-if questions. What if that child lashes out? What if we aren't ready? What if the child disrupts our family? What if it creates stress in our marriage, in our home? What if we don't have enough room? What if I grow to love this child and then I have to give this child back? That's going to be painful. And you know what? We can ask what-if questions all day and do nothing. Do nothing. But let me ask it this way. What if God put that desire in your heart because he wants to bless you and that child with abundant joy and the only way to get that joy is to let go of the, by risking the safety and security and the control and letting go of the anxiety in order to have that child in your home. It's a big risk. I know it is. But can you get to the place where you can say, you know what, I don't know how this is all going to work out. I can't control this situation. But I believe there's joy on the other side. And even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, even if the child lashes out, even if it creates some chaos and mess in our home, even if this is really, really hard, God is good. God is with us in the chaos. He's with us in the mess. He's never going to leave us. He's faithful to his promises. He's put this on my heart, and I'm just going to go for it. And I know that I can trust God. Some of us have some tough decisions to make. Risk is hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it when God is your joy. So lastly, and this is, this is how the text ends. I just want to read verses 9 through, through the first word, verse of 12, 1. Chapter 12, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes. This is what he says. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now listen to what he says. Remember also your creator... In the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, in which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So if God is judge over everyone, this is important. If God is the judge of everyone, then that gives weight to our choices. 
and meaning to our desires and purpose to our passions. Because God, it means that God cares about what we do. It means God cares about every detail of your life. If he is watching over us, if he is the ultimate judge of our lives and our decisions, then he cares. It means that every decision we make matters, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. Our view of judgment should not keep us from doing what we want. Our view of judgment should free us to do what we want. So what do I mean? Here's, here's what I mean. In Solomon's day, judgment was the climax of all things. This judgment day, that was the climax of everything. But now, today, judgment has a name. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was judged on the cross for our sin. He is the one. Judgment day for us was the crucifixion day. When God poured out his wrath on his son Jesus, who hung on the cross to take our sin upon his body. Our sins were judged in the body of Jesus Christ. And that means that for those who reject Jesus, judgment day is still coming. They will be judged for all of their actions. But for those people who trust Jesus and follow Jesus, their judgment day has already happened. It was on the cross where Jesus died for our sin, and guess what he said last? He said, it is finished. In other words, his death is the end of our judgment. In fact, his resurrection was, because that's when God vindicated his son and said that Jesus' death paid our ransom to set us free. We are free from condemnation. We are free from fear. We are free from anxiety. We are free from worry, free from the desire to control everything. Because Jesus is our judge, and he's taken our sin on himself on the cross. And that means that judgment isn't the climax for us. Jesus is the climax. It means that his return is the climax. That's what we were just singing about when we were saying... It is well with my soul. You know, when, when, the, when the, crowd, the clouds are rolled back and Jesus comes down and he brings heaven down to us, some people will fear. Some people will be paralyzed with fear on that day, but not people who love Jesus. People who love Jesus will rejoice on that day because they know that the judgment, their judgment has already been finished and will see God face to face. We'll see him for who he truly is. We'll be renewed. We'll be redeemed. It's, it's the best day of all for us. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote, All things have been created through Jesus and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what he's saying is if everything under the sun, everything that happens in this life is summed up in Jesus, then if Jesus is your joy, you can do whatever you want to. You can, you can take risks and trust God with the outcome. And for some people, that's just scary. It's just scary to take a risk. It's scary to do something and expose myself to loss or injury when I don't really know how it's going to work out. And some Christians even are too safe. Some of you are too safe. You're just playing it too safe. You would rather calculate risk than take risk. You would rather 
read about history than make history. You'd rather watch sports than play sports. You would rather read, learn about places than go places. You'd rather watch documentaries than do anything worth documenting on film. You would rather wait for that friend or stranger to ask you about Jesus than to tell them the truth. You'd rather fill your calendar than be available to people. Some people are too busy to take risks. You would rather clean up after your kids than make a mess with them. You'd rather stay at an unfulfilling job than do what you really want to do. You'd rather hide, hide yourself and, and pretend you're someone you're not than walk in the lights and take a risk and let others love you for who you really are. And you know what? Our view of judgment affects all these things. Our view of judgment because if we believe that Jesus was judged in our place on the cross, why waste another day being afraid? Why waste another day carrying around emotional stress and anxiety? You weren't made to carry that burden. Jesus took that burden. He died to take... Jesus died on the cross to free you from anxiety and worry about the future. You've been given your desires and skills and dreams as a gift. Don't waste them. Take a risk. There's this one thing Jesus said. I want to leave you with this verse today in Matthew chapter 11. This verse changed my life about 20 years ago. And this is what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take, your, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Maybe for some of you, the risk you need to take is going to Jesus. Is leaving your anxiety and fears behind, and accepting this invitation today. And saying, Jesus, I'm leaving everything else behind. I am going to follow you. I'm going to throw myself onto you. And I'll let God worry about the outcome. I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to surrender my fears, surrender my past, surrender the lies, surrender the secrets, surrender my doubts, and I am going to trust you. I'm going all in for Jesus today. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's challenging us to do. Is it a risk? Yes. Jesus said, if you want to know me, you have to lose your life. Whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You will find joy. You will find your purpose. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's a life of risk. It's not going to be an easy life. It's a joyful life. So last week I gave you a challenge and I asked you... I challenged you to ask God, what do you want me to lay down, God? What do you want me to put on the line? What have I been trying to control? And this week I want to challenge you again and say, would you ask God this week, God, what have you put on my heart to do that I have anxiety about? What do I know that you want me to do, but I'm not doing it because I'm anxious or afraid? What is anxiety keeping me from doing? How is anxiety keeping me from experiencing God in my life? And how can I move from asking what if to just saying even if? Even if. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you today. We thank you, God, for your grace and mercy that you've showered on us in Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for your wisdom that we find in your word, and we ask, God, today that you would fill our hearts with courage by your spirit, that your Holy Spirit, God, would move us to do things in your name without fear, without trying to control the outcome, leaving anxiety behind, and simply trusting you, God, so that we can find joy in our relationship and our life with you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.